2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love of the present world, he's deserted me and gone off to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone off to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He's very useful to me for ministry. Ticketus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Uh, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed the message. At my first defence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onsiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth and I left Trophus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Righto. Well, uh, as Robin said before, it's, it's a while since we've been here together. And for those who have been listening online, it it's probably seems even we've been short in supply of messages lately because we, we were away for a whole month and during that time there was no messages and then we're only back for one or two, no messages online, but then we're only back for one or two weeks and then there's COVID in the Brompton household. So... We've missed a couple of weeks and, and I've now dislocated my shoulder if you're watching online and wondering why I've got a sling on, um, but we're back. And I reckon today's message, um, I'm hoping it, it's not going to be too long. Uh, I think it'll be a bit shorter than most. We, we've come to the very end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. And most of the words in, in today's reading, apart from having difficult names, Alex, um, was mostly about ta-ta, cheerio, see you later, don't forget to visit, and, and when you do come, can you pick, bring my coat? I left it at so-and-so's place, and, and I, I think I'm going to need something to read while I'm in jail, so if you can bring my books and my parchments and so that I can do a bit of reading and and say good day to so and so. And by the way, Thingo and what's his face, they both want to say good day to you. And now, all of this sort of stuff, it, it just helps us to remember that when this was written, it was actually a very personal letter. Uh, we might tend to think of Paul as, as being some kind of super apostle and this great man in the church, but that is also a very personable and a very human brother to those that he knew. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we read this whole letter as a letter, which is the way a letter is supposed to be read. And we talked about what struck us in the letter. And one of the things that came out is the fact that everyone had deserted him. 
Some Christians had left him for good reasons. They'd been sent off to other places, presumably to preach the gospel there. Um, but then others had left him for other reasons, and some had left him because they were afraid. Jesus warned us it's not going to be easy to be his disciple. He said to his disciples, you will be persecuted for my sake. And in this very letter, back in chapter 3, Paul said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. You know, some people will scoff and, and say, oh, it's only those weak people who become Christians. But I wonder if they would say that to the face of, of the multitudes of Christians who have stared death in the face and said, even if you torture and kill me and my family, I will not deny the Lord. See, it's only the strong who persevere when they suffer for their faith. In verse 10, Paul mentions a bloke by the name of Demas. Uh, Demas deserted Paul and headed off to Thessalonica. The reason? He was in love with this present world. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on there, but, but I suspect that Demas probably was watching what was happening with Paul. He'd been arrested because of his faith, and he was just not far off being executed. And Demas is probably thinking, hmm, if I hang about here, I could get caught up in this too. Um, I don't want that to happen to me. And so Paul said he, he was in love with this present world. Now, when, we, when I read things like this, I, I find myself asking myself, would I be strong enough to persevere when persecution comes against me? Do you ever find yourself wondering that too? Would I be strong enough to persecute, to persevere when persecutions come against me? Well, I want to give you the heads up. It's actually not so much about our own strength. It's about what we love. And if I am in love with this present world, yep, I'll probably fail in my faith. But if my love is for the Lord, and if I am looking forward to the coming kingdom of heaven, then the Lord is the one who will give us strength. And, and we're going to come back to that a little bit more shortly. So as you would have picked up in the kids' story, the topic for today is the sovereignty of God. And I reckon that today in our very self-centred and, and mostly democratic liberal culture, the sovereignty of God would be one of the hardest concepts for us to understand. And it is one of the most difficult concepts for us to embrace and to submit to. The sovereignty of God means that God is king. In fact, he's, he's the king of kings and, and the Lord of lords, but it's in the very true sense of the word king. There was no one who can stand before him. No one can stand beside him. If you sort of think back in the scriptures, Whenever anyone encountered an angel, they would fall on their face before him. But that's just an angel, a mere messenger of God. Imagine if those who would, who would um, encounter God face to face, they just self-destruct. But even that doesn't define what the sovereignty of God is about. I reckon the easiest way for, for me to, to say this is to say, not my will 
but your will be done. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. That's what it means for God to be king in in the true, unquestionable power sense of the title. And we might have a bit of trouble grasping this because when we think about the kings and queens we know, so like Queen Elizabeth II, she's recently died. And King Charles III now sits on the throne. And it will not make one scrap of difference to the laws or to the lives of the citizens of England. And it's certainly not going to affect us here in in the Commonwealth of Australia. Why not? There's just been a change in monarchy. Well, it's because King Charles and, and Queen Elizabeth before him are not true kings or queens. They have the title king. They have the title queen but they are what's known as a constitutional monarchy, right? So they have been stripped of the raw power that a king or a queen holds. You understand this? The power that, the raw power that a king or a queen used to wield is now manifest in in the parliament. The concept of a true king, most of us would probably actually find that quite abhorrent. After all, who would, who would want to give up our democracy so that we could have a king who had complete power, who had complete authority over us, so that what he determines, we do. What he says is done. Who he condemns is indeed condemned. Whom he commends is elevated and lifted up. Who, who wants to have a king with that sort of power? Who would want to have a king whose whose word is law and whose decision can never, ever be questioned? Are there any takers for that? Not seeing too many people jumping up and saying, pick me, pick me. Now, if we were honest with ourselves, most of us, we actually like to be our own rulers. We like to be our own authorities. And and government interference, well, that's the last thing that I want. Imagine... If we had a king, though, who had complete authority. And so most of us would say, no, I don't want to be ruled over by a king. But what if that king was our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Does that change things a bit? What if that king was good always, all the time? What if that king is a personification of love? What if that king would give his own life to save you? What if that king was just and fair and true? What if that king was full of mercy? It's more of an attractive picture, isn't it? Having a king like that. But then again, would I still trust that king if he didn't explain his decisions to me? Would I still trust that king? What if if he didn't give us what we wanted, but what he planned? What if something occurred that wasn't pleasant for me, but it fulfilled his will? Would I still want that king? You see, this is the sovereignty of God. He is king. And we may or may not recognise this. And and, and as Christians, we submit to his lordship. 
we submit to his authority. And we do it willingly, do we not? I hope so. Why? Because we know who he is. And by faith, we trust in him with everything we have and with everything we are. God doesn't have to explain himself to us. We just trust him. We trust him with our own families. Now, the thing is, we're not used to giving anyone that level of trust. We're not used to giving anyone that level of authority. For most of us, we might go, oh yeah, I submit to a level of authority where I have to. But I'd actually rather be running things myself, thank you very much. And, and that, sadly, sometimes that spills over into our spiritual life. We call Jesus Lord and we pray your will be done and we sing songs that go along the lines of I will follow you, I will trust and obey. But then when things don't go as I planned, even though I've told God I've handed control over to him, I want to take that control back again. And we might say, no, Lord, you've messed up. I gave you control, but you messed up. And we mightn't actually say those words, but by us wrestling control back from God again is like saying to him, God, your way is not going so great. I think my way is going to be much better. But the thing is, God never messes anything up. God never messes anything up. What's happened is sometimes I might pray, God, your will be done, because I expected that God's will would be the same as my will. But it wasn't. And that upsets me. So I want to take it back again. But there are two words that we can never say together. No, Lord. You might say no, God. You might say no, Jesus. But you can never say no, Lord. Because for him to be Lord means I've already said yes. And I can't take that back again. If Jesus is truly Lord, we can never say no to him. If Jesus is Lord, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. If he is my Lord, it means that his word stands. His will will be done in my life. And even when things don't work out as, as what we might have been hoping, God will do as God will do. And that's okay. Why is it okay? Because he's Lord and he never messes anything up. And that is the sovereignty of God. And this is one of the hardest things for us humans to surrender our will to the will of the Lord. And we see Paul's submission to the, to the sovereignty of God right here in today's reading. See, in his faith, Paul had trusted God completely and, and the Lord had never let him down. He said, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me through all of these persecutions. 
And when you read the book of Acts, you can see all the persecutions that Paul went through. And you can see hints of it coming through in his letters as well. And God had a purpose in this, that through Paul, the gospel would be proclaimed and it would go much, much wider than just Israel. It would be preached to all the nations. He was the one who was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And in many places where Paul went, as we read the book of Acts, we'll see that he faced danger after danger after danger. And he'd get run out of one town and sent on to the next. He'd get into, put into prison here and he'd get out again. And, and he was just always copying it. But the thing is, God rescued him every time. Time and time again, God rescued him. And so he could just keep on preaching in many lands. And this was no little thing. He uses a phrase, he says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, for us, when, when we look back in church history, we go, oh, yeah, he's probably talking about the Colosseum. Well, I think it's unlikely that Paul would have ever been thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. Uh, the reason for that is he was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens weren't sent to the Colosseum for that. Um, Roman citizens were killed by the sword, which, by the way, is how Paul was executed. But in later years, many Christians were fed to the lions, and the crowds got a lot of entertainment out of that. I think what Paul's really saying here is, I was rescued from the attacks of Satan. Um, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Right? So what he's saying here is keep your wits about you. Watch and understand this. Persecution comes from Satan. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And now here Paul is saying, God rescued me from the jaws of the lion. Right? So, so the, the fact that Paul had been rescued, and that's been his experience right through until now, did that mean that he was going to be safe? Does that mean that even though he's locked up in prison, um, the doors are going to swing open and he's going to get out again and, and he'd get let off? I mean, that's what he's experienced in the past and God had rescued him. Does that mean it's guaranteed that it was going to happen again? No. Here's what Paul was confident about. Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Do you understand that the gravity of what he's saying here? Basically, the devil can kill the body, but he cannot kill the soul. And, and ultimately, Paul would be rescued from pain and suffering and imprisonment straight into the loving arms of Jesus in his heavenly kingdom. And there's the difference between Demas and Paul. Demas loved this present world too much. 
And so when Satan came prowling around like a lion with persecutions, he fled. He was living for the flesh. He was living for this present world. But Paul was living for eternity. And so the Lord gave him strength. And here is Paul's submission to the sovereign will of God. When he thinks of his imminent execution, he views that this is being safely brought into the heavenly kingdom. Imagine that. It's not long until he gets beheaded. And he views it as being brought safely into the heavenly kingdom. And, and, and that leads him to worship. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, have you ever noticed that, that for some folk, when troubles come upon them or, or when their prayers are not answered, their faith gets so shaken, it, it, it crumbles to a pile of rubble. Some folk think, well, I've trusted you, God, and, and you've let me down. I believed for this and it didn't happen. And they claim promises for themselves that, that God never made to them. But, but for Paul, God's sovereign will meant everything to him. And so no matter what happens, to the Lord be glory forever and ever. Amen. What about for us? How well do we submit to the sovereign will of God? You know, I was actually reluctant to use the word submit because we tend to think of submission as being a burden. But when it comes to God, there's no burden to submission. To, to be in a place of complete faith and trust in our Lord is to submit to him in all things. And, and it's, it's a delight. And it's a joy. It is so freeing. It, it, it overcomes our fears and anxieties. Some folk live with fears and with anxieties every day. And for some, they have every reason to be anxious and to be afraid. But not if we trust in the Lord. With him, nothing can come at us that he cannot handle. And when we have an eternal perspective, that means that we have the attitude, you know what? Even if this life of mine is snatched away from me, that's the Lord rescuing me to his kingdom. It's the difference between loving this world and loving the Lord and his heavenly kingdom. How well do we submit to the sovereign will of God? When, when we pray, thy will be done, are we serious about that? What if God's will isn't nice for me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and there in the dark he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
God's will wasn't nice for Jesus. What about when you pray for someone who's sick? Are you willing to pray, Father, if you are willing, please heal this person? Are you willing to pray also, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done? You see, as, as some folk pray, they put themselves in the place of the one who is sovereign. And they view, view themselves as being sovereign. That they decide what they want and then demand it of God. Some will use the phrase, I command a healing. Some command a blessing. They might use the phrase, I'm believing for this or I'm believing for that. And they're so confident that their will will be done. But what if their will isn't God's will? They put themselves in the place of God and they decree it shall be so. And then if the prayer isn't answered, they might, well, we need to have more faith. We need to believe it more. And some believe it louder and pray it louder and louder until they're shouting. That's not the way Jesus taught us to pray. How do we pray? We ask our Father because he is sovereign. We do not command him. And it's not up to us to determine God's will. God does that. And I've often heard it said that, that if we pray it and believe it and if we have enough faith, it'll be done. I want you to know that's not true. Because what if it's not God's will? When it comes to healing, I've had people say to me, it's always God's will to heal. I get told that in the Bible, people are always healed. Really? Paul obviously didn't get that memo. In that very passage that we just read just now, in verse 20, he tells us he had to leave Trophimus at Miletus. Why? Because he's too crooked to travel. You see, when we truly understand the goodness of God, when we truly understand the sovereignty of God, and when our love is not in the things of this world, but for the Lord himself and for his will to be done, and when we're living for the kingdom of heaven, that's when the Lord is truly our Lord. And when God's will is done, whether it be nice for us or whether it's not nice for us, and whether we understand it or whether we don't understand it, when God's will is done, we will still be led to worship. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. When everything goes well, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When things are not nice, and I don't know why, to him be the glory forever and ever. And even when sorrow and grief wreck my very soul, to him be the glory forever and ever. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you.
And that's the end of 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our, our prayer today is a simple one. Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Lord, you are sovereign. You are king. You are my Lord. And I trust you in everything. And would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.